Hi there, Carling here. Whether this is your first episode of this podcast you're listening to, or you're working backwards from the more recent ones, these earliest episodes require a bit of patience, humor, and understanding. These episodes are a time machine back to when I had no idea what I was doing in editing, sound quality, or production. And there were two hosts. We were full of passion, laughter, and a whole lot of trial and error. But here's the thing. These episodes are the essence of my humble beginnings, and I'm hoping that's part of the charm. The raw authenticity that shaped the foundation of this podcast. Although this podcast has evolved and my interview skills and audio quality have vastly improved, the heart and soul of these episodes remain timeless. The stories I shared back then, they still hold significance and are worth hearing. These episodes make me appreciate how far I've come, so... Thank you in advance for your patience and enjoy. Hey there. Welcome to 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. I'm Lindsay and I'm joined by my co-host and real life partner, Carling. We're diving into the 90s hit drama through today's lens. Get ready for our off-the-cuff commentary and peeling back the layers of the Camden family. We'll tackle everything from family rules, life lessons, and 90s fashion. Join us every week for a lighthearted queer perspective and a trip down memory lane. Whether you're a diehard fan or new to the show, this recap is for you. So find us anywhere you get your podcasts at 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. I'm I'm so sorry. There's been an accident. There was a derailment. Michelle. Yes, Carling. Listeners may be wondering where our intro music was. Yeah. But, um... We didn't think it was appropriate. Yeah, when... So, <laughs> it was a little too upbeat for You know, the when situation. we found our music, I was like, this music is perfect. Never did I think we were going to have such a sad episode. Yeah. And how wrong our music is for... <laughs> I tried, like, slowing yeah. it down. I tried, like... I mean, what little I know with editing. Anyway, no music. No music today. We'll have music at the end. Yes. Because the end, there's it's more lighthearted. But yeah. uh, trigger warning, if you couldn't tell from the five-second intro, yeah, um, this is a heavy one, guys. It's rough, yeah. It's but rough, but it's important. Important. I mean, it's, I don't know, the insight that Jen has and her story and, you know, grief and loss and everything. Like, it's such a complicated, convoluted thing. And yeah. it's and this, really important. Like, this story was all over the news yes. for a long time. Yeah. And still kind of is ongoing. Yeah. Um, but for those who are not in Canada, I don't know where all it reached. But yeah, there was a big like CP rail um, derailment accident. And our mutual friend's husband died. Yeah. In it. And, and uh, along with two other men. Yeah. 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 And um, yeah, when we started our podcast, she had sort of been like, oh, like I'll tell my story. But we wanted to give her some time to. Yeah process and um yeah she reached out again and said that she was still interested so so we did it and we didn't cry too much (laughs) it was it was hard I mean yeah yeah because I know like yeah because Anthony died like six weeks later yeah yeah so yeah it's heavy but important couple shots yeah of your preferred liqueur before listening Pull over. Pull the frick over. <laughs> Get um, your tissues ready. Yeah. But. Jana, I know sometimes you listen when you're working. Maybe oh, don't. Yeah. We don't need you like sobbing on top of <laughs> one of your massage clients. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. 
Um, yeah, and then we also have, I think we're going to do it not next week, but the week after is my other best friend Devin's story about how she lost her mom. Yeah. But we can't have two back-to-back. No. That's too much. So no. we're going to put in a funny one in between or like a less serious. But just more lighthearted. Tragic. Yeah. 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 Um, but, oh, my God, when I went to Starbucks this morning, uh-huh. the you know how the baristas, I don't know if it's their, like, are they trained to ask what we're doing I think so, day? literally, because anytime I go to Starbucks, they're like, what are you doing today? I know. And I never, I'm like, do you care? <laughs> do Like, as a server, I think I would, like, I genuinely, like, love talking to people. And yeah. so I'd be like, oh, my God, what do you guys got going on? But I was just feel like I could literally tell you, like, I'm going to go set a house on fire. <laughs> and you'd be like, oh great, God. sounds like fun. Yes. <laughs> I love that for you. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe if you're a Starbucks barista or know a Starbucks barista. Okay. I don't like how you say barista. 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 Oh. <laughs> barista. If you know a coffee artist Ooh. who works at Starbucks, which I think is saying a lot for Starbucks, but um, no hate. I drink Starbucks. Um Tell me, like, do you care what people say? Like, <laughs> tell me, do you actually care? Do you care? <laughs> but anyway, this girl seemed to care because I said, so I never know what to say, but I was like feeling good about today's interview. So I was like, I was like, yeah, I'm actually, I have a podcast and we're interviewing this person today. Yeah. And she's like, well, what's your podcast about? So I talked about it and then I gave her one of our cards. No, look at you. So uh, if you're listening to this job, Starbucks barista, I didn't catch your name. You were lovely. Thank you. <laughs> and let us know what you think. That's awesome. Good for you. Good yeah. Job. What's your day? You ran already? I ran this morning uh, for 50 minutes. That's too long. On my treadmill. That's about 49 minutes and 30 seconds too long. Yeah. Probably. But I needed to move my body. <laughs> and Who gave you that stupid advice? I don't advice? know. So annoying. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've been it feeling... Was- <laughs> I'm feeling kind of blah and down lately, so um, I made sure to get up right away and run, and yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's just about, like, like kicking your, like, your body naturally produces serotonin and dopamine and all of those hormones, like, just by the act of, like, standing up. Yeah. And, like, just moving your body. Yeah. Um, and I saw this video of this girl that's like, you know, if you don't want to get up and do something that you need to get done because you're feeling like down or you're feeling too tired, like just stand up. That's or no, not even stand up. Put on a happy song and just start like like dancing in your chair <laughs> for like 30 seconds. Yeah. And then stand up. You don't have to do the thing yet. You just need to stand up and like just move your body. Yeah. And then naturally your body produces these hormones that like get activated. Mm hmm. I don't know if anyone can tell. I am not a scientist or a doctor. Wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) I think it's funny that you're like low key, like researching all this stuff to like help me. And then you're like sending me these like little like suggestions. But you've had all this like looking up like behind it. It's just funny. I'm like, you know what I thought? Maybe you just need some fresh air. Maybe you just need to move your body. Um, but you know, it's true because whenever I'm feeling sick, like if I have a cold or whatever, I always feel worse if I lay around. Yeah. I want to get up and get going and like try to ignore it. Right. But, uh, so I need to do the same thing with when I'm feeling sad, when I'm feeling down, when I'm feeling unmotivated, but it's hard, you know, like I, 
I can relate now when people say like I can't even get out of bed like getting yeah. out of bed is like the hardest thing and I can see that and before yeah. I was like what like just get up right but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you've ever tried just getting up but uh oh my god no but it's difficult it's really difficult when um yeah you're just feeling yeah there's like totally grief and down. exhaustion and burnout yeah. and stress and I know when I first left my uh ex-husband um, and he was being an abusive psycho, I could, the, literally the, I say my dog saved my life because the only reason I got out of bed was because they needed to go outside and yeah. eat and, yeah. and like, those were the only reasons. If I didn't have them, I would have just yeah withered away in bed. Withered away. I don't yeah. know if withered away is the right word. I was eating a lot, drinking oh, a lot, but... <laughs> Something I wouldn't have gotten up. I mean, then it would have been like an episode of Maury where we have to like, <laughs> you know, airlift you out of the house and. Oh my God! Speaking of Maury, oh, I so TikTok has taken me down this troubled teen reform school mm-hmm. path, mm-hmm. and I am like fired up. Oh, and then we were. It reminds me of Maury. I remember watching. When I was, like, homesick from school, like, when I was younger, Maury would always have these, like, my kid is out of control. Yeah. And then these, like, Drill people sergeants, yeah. and take them away. Yeah. And then they'd show this stock footage of this, like, beautiful wilderness camp. Yeah. But now what's coming to light, um, oh, God, I'm going to not do it justice. There's something called, no, I got to find the hashtag. Anyway, uh, it's like, we hear you, survivor. I see you, survivor. Um... But it's all these people who survived these incredibly abusive, oppressive behavioral behavioral modification schools and camps. And like a lot of them like hide behind different religions and a lot of them hide like Mm -hmm. and none of the people that run them are doctors, psychologists, (laughs) teachers. Like, yeah, they're just wackos. Yeah. And I mean, I remember watching a Dateline episode where a guy was sent to one of those and I mean, this is worst case scenario, but he came back and later, you know, killed his parents because oh he was my so, God. yeah, like he was so messed up from being sent there and being abandoned and being abused while he was there yeah. and feeling like, you know, all the things you feel like when your parents send you off to a, to a camp like that. Yeah. And, and yeah, he, he, yeah, he killed his Ooh, parents. Worst oh. case. So. Yeah, but then we watched the Paris Hilton uh, documentary on YouTube. Yeah, so random. I was like, oh, I heard about it. And so we yeah. watched it. And, and she was sent to one of those like places. Like several. And yeah. she ran away and was like abused. Yeah. and Put in solitary. Like, Paris, and... if you're listening, we'll be your friend. Girl, come on our podcast. Yeah. Well, and so there's this podcast I've been listening to called Troubled. And it's these two survivors of these... Um, places and um they're like interviewing people anyway i reached out and they said they'd love to be on our podcast oh awesome yeah i gotta follow up with them yeah for sure because i'm just like blown away yeah well and like you said they're very much uh spun as this like you know bring your child here and we'll help them and we'll guide them and we'll you know put them on the right path and maybe we'll be able to help. Like I I watched or I listened to an episode of red handed and it was kind of the same thing. The mom sent this boy to this camp and said, you know, uh, the outcome of the camp is that he would then be able to get a job at the camp. Right. So it's like showing them 
that they can have a future and all these things. So a parent is going to be like, of course, like I, I can't help them, but maybe somebody else can. And then he ended up dying because he was uh. so badly abused by this, by this camp. So it's, yeah, God. it's crazy. It really fires me up. Man, we go on such tangents on I our know. intros, hey? I know. All over the place. Like from Starbucks to child abuse. Yeah. Running. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm actually excited to go to work this week. So, yeah. oh, I guess it was last week's episode. Oh, breaking news. Breaking news. <laughs> <laughs> um, our, our friend Tia, who follows us on Patreon and um, the main feed, like reached out and she was like, so are we going to find out what happened? <laughs> because last week I just got back from camping and I wasn't feeling well at all. And I was sure it was just the fire smoke from the wildfires. Yeah. Um, but I called my boss and she was like, no, you can't come in. Like policy is that if you have any symptoms, you have to have a negative COVID test result and be symptom free before mm-hmm. you can come back. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, like I've only been at the job three weeks. I feel bad. Um, but they were great. And so I went and got my work laptop and um, they, I don't know what that sound is. My kids are very excited for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I was able to work from home all week. But Tuesday I was really sick. Like I actually think I had a cold. Mm-hmm. Um, but my COVID test came back negative. Yay. Yeah. Oh, we're, what were we just recording was our, it our Patreon? Patreon? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So if you listen to our Patreon, literally as we recorded, my text came oh, yeah. through <laughs> saying that it was negative. Um, yeah. So like, See, I that's go- why you got to be on our Patreon because you get things <laughs> like as they happen, right? Like you get the breaking news. Our Patreon people knew about your COVID <laughs> test already. Yeah. So I'm excited to go back to work and like work out again and like. Just, yeah. Yeah. I'm that's excited. Good. That's good. We haven't had any covid related things happen yet or or kids needing to stay home from school yet so yeah, to have just five like, kids in daycare and school like ooh, your chances are high i know i know and that's what i'm saying like as soon as one of them gets it it's just going to be like a domino effect and we're all gonna have to stay home for like a month knock on wood and then we'll interview me and i will be a shell of myself <laughs> <laughs> oh lord okay well let's get into this episode all right so trigger warning, trigger warning, trigger warning. Yeah. Get your Kleenex. Have a drink if you need. Yeah. Call a friend and tell them you might need a hug. Yeah. Um, but ah, like Jen was so great. Yes. And I just what a tragedy. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, like I'm not even gonna put intro music between here and the start of the episode. Yeah. Even though it starts off pretty lighthearted and friendly, and then it just takes a deep dive into yeah. tragedy. Yeah. Um, okay, listen to it and we'll talk to you after the show. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Hello, Jen. Hi. <laughs> Hi. How are you? Uh I'm good. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for chatting with us today. Oh, you're welcome. I'm happy to chat. How's your day going? Are you uh, home alone or? I am home alone. Grandma took the girls for me, so I didn't have any interruptions. Oh, oh nice. that's so nice. That's good. Yeah. You should have gotten Grandma to take Michelle's kids too. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> um, That's awesome. Well, we're super excited to talk to you. We've we haven't spent a lot of time together. Well, I think actually I've only met you once. I think I've met you once. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, like we were just saying, because you don't have social media anymore, it's so funny because like social media is how, like I that's how I see people. You yeah, know, like yeah. it's, you forget that it actually takes effort to like connect with people and and like find out what they're up to when you don't just have like their pictures streaming constantly. Yeah, it does. It does take a little bit more effort to keep in touch with people, but I think that uh, if you actually do want to be in somebody's life you will make the genuine effort yeah a hundred percent yeah yeah like really what did we do pre-2007 i don't know i didn't have a cell phone so (laughs) (laughs) i uh i guess i just knocked on people's doors or showed up to their houses and did stuff like that or met people through or you know work and um mutual friends and stuff like that it's wild to think like no cell phones, no social media. The world would be very different. Yeah. 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 So why don't we start out by just having you kind of introduce yourself. Who are you? What do you do? Where do you live? Oh my gosh. Okay. Uh, my, I am Jen Parody. I live in the Southeast end of Calgary for the last seven years was a, a freelance childcare provider. Um, so I basically ran a private day home from my house and, um, I was very fulfilled doing that for a while, but, um, after the accident happened, I, I seriously considered not doing that line of work anymore. And basically with COVID hitting, it just gave me the momentum I needed to get out of that industry and rediscover what I wanted to do. Yeah, because being freelance, were you sort of under the same, I don't know, like guidelines? Or was it more just like you had to make the decision to put more restrictions on because of COVID? Uh, It's definitely a freelance production. So uh, no, I did not need to follow what uh, the rest of, you know, daycares were doing. So when the daycare shut down, um, I got really nervous and mm-hmm. just decided that it would be best if I shut down to reframe, if nothing else, the way that the procedures go um, when introducing the kids to the environment, you know, serious thorough cleanings needed to be done and disinfection and um, procedures for hand washing and nose wiping and coughing and stuff like that having screening for the kids that come in and out of the day home. And did you, Um, did you start the day home because you had your littles at home with you? Yeah, I did. I, I did start the day home because I did not want to go back to work serving. I was, uh, I was a server for nine years before I started the day home. So I really enjoy being with people. I enjoy listening to people. I enjoy talking to people. I really am genuinely a people person. So uh, doing the day home seemed to be like a nod to that. Um, You just, instead of looking after adults, you're looking after little kids and, you know, so it was, it was just more of, I didn't, I didn't want to leave my girls for that long. And my husband really pushed me in that direction as well and colluded with my dad to say, you know, you have the perfect house for a day home. Like, why don't you start a day home? And I was like, I don't know if I have the personality for that. You guys, you know, I, I don't uh, feel terribly confident in that, but once I started and 
it taught me a lot. So I, if nothing else, I learned a lot about myself, about human nature, about parenting, um, and about being a mom, really. Um, I would, I would say you definitely have the personality for it. I mean, from, from what I've seen or what I've heard about your day home, you're incredibly organized and you have so many, um, amazing, like unique crafts for the kids and you make everything kind of a theme and, and it just seems like a really great place to send your kids. Oh, well, thank you, Michelle. <laughs> That's very kind. Uh, I kind of lost momentum after Dylan passed away, though. Like in that Absolutely. last year of transition, it was just it was almost like you just go into survival mode. You, can, yeah. you can't you can't focus on anybody else's needs. And it really it sucks everything that you tried to build up for yourself dry. So yeah, yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't keep going down that road. I really needed to, to recharge and refresh my life. So hence why I'm a stay at home mom now and I do nothing all day and it's glorious. <laughs> you need that. Sometimes you need that. You do need that. Honestly. Yeah. Um, I'm, re- I'm really excited to hear about how you and Dylan met. Like, can you kind of tell us your story with him? Yeah. Yay. I love talking about our love story. <laughs> um, uh, I met Dylan through mutual friends of ours. So uh, Dylan was best friends with a guy named Darby. And this guy named Darby was in the same uh, CP Rail conductors course as my one of my really good friends, Scott. And I met Scott through another friend named Brayden who went to school with Marie. So, yeah. So it's like six degrees of separation. Um, They were, we just, it was kind of like an accident. You know, we all just kind of met up one night. I got asked if I wanted to go out to play some pool with the boys. And I said, absolutely. So I got in the car with my friend Darby and my best friend, Scott. And we went off to go pick Dylan up. And I had never met Dylan before a day in my life. And this strange guy just gets in the back seat. And the first thing I noticed about him was his bright eyes. Um, His eyes were, are deep set. He looks a lot like Jared Leto, which you'll hear a lot from Marie. Um, (laughs) Now that you say that, I can totally picture that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I died. (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, I, uh, it was a love at first sight thing for me, for sure. I don't think he would agree with that on this side of things but uh I'm kind of like a I'm kind of like a leech I grow on you um so (laughs) uh anyways he jumped in the back of the car and I automatically couldn't look at him because he was so beautiful my cheeks just went bright red and I knew if I looked at him he would be able to see on my face that I knew he was attractive so I I played the cold, cool cucumber. Like I just, I couldn't look at him. I couldn't, I talked to him a bit, but when I did talk to him, I didn't make eye contact very much. I kind of looked off into the distance or looked at a chair or looked at the floor or anything to not look at this guy because I knew I was going to just like grin from ear to ear when I stared <laughs> at him. So anyways, we went out to the, we went out to this place called uh, the Rock Creek uh, bar. I think it's down, it's down in the Northwest. That's where Dylan was living at the time. 
and we went out there and uh, my two really good friends they were smokers at the time so they stepped out for to imbibe in that and Dylan and I were left at the table together and then out of awkwardness because I can never stop talking when I'm uncomfortable I <laughs> will just I just went on a tangent and started asking him a bunch of questions and I guess there's something about that he loved. He didn't feel like he had to work to make conversation happen with me. And I think that that's kind of what broke down the barrier for him. Uh, because Dylan is very much a person who used to sit back and observe people. He didn't, he couldn't, he didn't really strike up the conversation. He would wait for other people to talk, sit back, listen. And then if it was, you know, uh, integral to the conversation he would talk but he was pretty quiet um, but I really enjoyed that because that gave me lots of space to talk myself <laughs> so we got along really well he was a very uh, calm guy he didn't he was just when he would present he was he was just very easygoing mm -hmm. he had a very calming nature to him very uh like everything, nothing really bothered him. He was very just, he was, he could get along with anybody because he was easygoing, because he just sat and listened and, and was just, he was just lovely like that. It, it was great. And, uh, I met him that one time and then a couple other times we went out as a group. And then the time when I knew, like I knew he was the one was we were leaving Dixon's uh, public house, which is actually where I used to work. Oh, and yeah. uh, this was back in 2008, I believe, 2008. Anyways, so me and my friend Allison, we were getting ready to go, and we were going to jump in the car together to go, go home. And the guys were at the, you know, the entrance of the bar and we were all saying goodbye. And Allison goes around like, okay, bye guys. And she just starts hugging everybody like one by one by one. And I'm like, oh, so we're doing this now? We're hugging strange guys? Okay, I guess I'll just hug these strange guys. And Dylan was the last on my roster to hug. And when I hugged him, my whole body set on fire. Aww. and I I got into the car with Allison and Darby and and uh and Scott and I said oh my god that guy's so gorgeous he's like utter eye candy and my friend Darby whips around with his cell phone in his hand is like you like Dylan I'm totally texting him right now oh and no I'm like no don't tell him how much I like him <laughs> and then that was it after after Darby sent out that one text Dylan was on it. He called me that night to schedule a date. And oh. everything after that is history. It's just, it was just Aww. like kismet. Meant to be. That's so wonderful. I love that. So how long did you guys date before you got married? Uh, well, we dated for about three months before he moved in with me. Oh, and wow. Yeah, it was really short. Uh, but uh, to be I fair, he was, but he was living with an ex-girlfriend at the time. Oh, yeah. So Can I had, that. I was like, he's either moving out or I can't 
date this guy. Like it, yeah. it's just, it's asking for trouble. Right. So yeah. as soon as I told him that he was like, yeah, sure. Yeah. No problem. I'll move out. No problem. And, <laughs> uh, and then he moved out and, and we lived together. And then on our second year anniversary, he proposed Aww. and he proposed in the same house that I'm living in now. That's so special. Yeah. So, uh, I, Oh, he was so nervous. <laughs> he was so nervous. He, uh, we had a big, a big conversation. Dylan was always afraid of divorce. He was, he was terrified because his parents were divorced and he was brought up in a broken home uh-huh. and he had seen the resentment and the sadness and the heartbreak that his parents had to go through. And he was afraid that it would be the same with me, um, or that he could fall victim to the same outcome. And so that night before he proposed, we went out to Moxie's and he was talking to me about like, what would happen if we did get married and it didn't work out. And I said, well, I really do believe that you have to put your everything into your marriage, but if you do put everything into your marriage and it's still not working out, I think you should just part ways because it's better to be happy and alone than miserable and married Mm -hmm. so I I just said okay well yeah that's that's my true belief and you know hopefully that eases your stress because I was actually afraid he might break up with me and uh but it it didn't uh it didn't turn out that way because we got (laughs) home uh he had wanted to stop off and get some flowers for me for our anniversary so I got to go pick out flowers we got home and he was, I was going to cut the stems off the bottom of the flowers to put them in a vase and he could not stop pacing. He was pacing <laughs> back and forth between the kitchen and the living room. Are you going to be done that anytime soon? Come on. Like I'm all right. I want to start the night. Like, let's go, let's go. I'm going, okay, just chill. I don't know why you're so upset. And then when we got to the living room, I could see what was going on and I knew right away, like there was, there was that, okay, yeah, something big's going to happen. And uh, he got down on one knee and started to tell me everything that I was to him, how much I had changed his life, how happy he was with me, and that he couldn't picture anybody else in that position. Oh, that's wonderful. And then that was how he proposed, and I bawled my eyes out. By the way, (laughs) I was also wearing bright green makeup at the time, and it was just (laughs) streaming down my face in puddles, (laughs) like... Because I was going, I was going through this phase with Iron Maiden. So I had this bright, like bright green Iron Maiden shirt on at the time. And I was wearing like matching eyeshadow and eyeliner. And it was just all over my face. Like, oh, (laughs) what a way, what a way to enter, enter that phase. But yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was a night. uh, You never forget that. And uh, yeah, it was wonderful. Oh, I love that. I love that. And then, um, what was your wedding like? Oh, our wedding. That was funny. Uh, I did most of the planning for our wedding because my parents uh, were living in Florida at the time. And uh, Dylan's folks were, you know, they were, the, you know, typical, typical groom parents. They kind of just took a back seat and let me do everything. And <laughs> I, I know that if I needed help, they'd be there. But uh, I, I took the reins on that one. Dylan kind of just, I just asked Dylan, do you like this or no? Yes mm-hmm. or no. But, and the only place that I ever drug him to go and see was where we got married, which was uh Reader rock garden. 
which oh, is right I across from Sa- Stampede Station there. Yeah, yeah it's beautiful yeah. there. So we got married uh, right outside the cafe there. And uh, it was, oh, God, it was 26 degrees that day. We got married on August 6, 2011, and it was 26 degrees. And my, my dress was like wearing a parka. Oh, and it man. was just I was just this oh it was so gross <laughs> like couldn't ask for a more beautiful day to get married but holy cow the yeah. sweat stains um <laughs> uh our our wedding day was kind of a blur it was I we didn't sleep that night at all both of us were totally nervous um mm-hmm. there was a there wasn't a lot of pressure or anything. Everybody tried to make everything pretty nice and easy and handle things for us on our behalf. Um, my parents and Dylan's parents were just amazing during that time. They helped set up the hall. They took videography. They took pictures for us. Um, they were there tearing down all the chairs and tables at the end. And it was, uh, it was a really beautiful Beautiful ceremony, really cheap too. I think we only spent about seven thousand dollars on the whole thing. Oh wow, wow. that's that's amazing. Yeah. That's including the dress. So wow, yeah. Oh wow, so we did awesome. it really cheap. <laughs> <laughs> and then you had two beautiful girls. Yeah, Meadow yeah. and Molly. Um, Meadow was born uh, August twelfth, or sorry, August seventeenth, two thousand twelve. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Dylan and I had decided that we thought we were only going to have one. We thought one is good, one is enough, one is uh-huh. it's going to be a lot of it's going to be a lot of work, and we didn't really know what parenthood was going to bring. And then by the time Meadow turned one, it was like, all right, no, I'm ready for another one. Oh. <laughs> okay, well, two, you know, two. You said you were happy with just one, so I don't know what this two business is, but. You know, I'm pretty much going to be done after two. And I said, okay, fine. Sure. Let's have two. So we had two. And uh, Molly was born July 19th, 2014. So that makes the girls eight and six now. And uh, they're very happy, very loving. Molly is just like her dad. Like, it's, it's like she's trapped in a little body that looks like mine. But she acts exactly like her dad. So she's quiet and she's reserved and she talks when she needs to. But she's very easygoing and gets along with lots of different personalities. Uh, She's a strategizer. Dylan was really big into puzzles and board games and uh, he loved video games. That's uh, that was his big downfall. Video games. Oh, Oh, man. that ended up, you know, we ended up going to counseling for that a couple times because we, I found that I was jealous of the video games, you know, yeah. <laughs> it makes sense, but you know, yeah. it does, it, it can, it can become a really big, a really big issue for sure. Yeah. But the thing is, is when I, when I look back at all the things that could be um, wrong in a marriage or yeah. things that you have to work past I'm really glad it was video games in retrospect like there's there's so many other things that people fall victim to and video games is not a bad one and I don't know if you feel this but I I definitely do when I think back now 
about little fights or little arguments, or I see other couples kind of uh, posting that they're arguing or fighting with their significant other. Uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is like, none of this matters. Yeah. Like, like obviously you want to have a uh, strong communication and things like that, but the little things now that, you know, once you've lost that person, it just seems so insignificant now. And I just, yeah. I don't know when I see people arguing, I'm like, guys, just, it doesn't matter. Like yeah. it really doesn't matter. But obviously in the moment, you know, it, it does, but it's just a kind of a perspective thing. It is absolutely a perspective thing. Most people mm-hmm. don't lose their spouses at 33. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 You know, uh, it's, it's not a thing that everybody has to go through. It is a thing that eventually everybody will have to go through. And that's what yeah. I keep in perspective. I, I just like to look at everybody else and say to myself, you know what, I had to go through this horrible, tragic thing early mm-hmm. in my life, mm-hmm. but yeah. that provides growth. And, um, there's really nothing else I can take from that except for the fact that it's over and I don't have to go through it again. Right. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. everybody's going to have to lose somebody. And yeah. and that's yeah. what we don't remember. I think we sign on for marriage thinking it's going to be forever and ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And eventually things end and it's sad yeah. and it sucks and it's horrible. And it, it, it propels you into so many other things in your life, um, good and bad. And, but I really think that, uh, coming out of that is, is key and, and keeping perspective when you are suffering is key to yeah. is prolonged happiness. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, what was, I wanted to ask, what was Dylan like as a father? Oh my God. He was ridiculous. <laughs> he was, he was, he was wild. He was, uh, he was very hands-on, incredibly hands-on. Um, Dylan was the kind of dad that maybe didn't want to be a dad at first, but mm-hmm. then once his kids got to an age where he could actually throw them around and goof with them <laughs> and tell funny jokes and sit and do hands-on activities with them. Like he used to spend hours with Meadow on the floor puzzling in the morning. Like I'd wake up on Sunday morning and nothing's going on. And Dylan's home from work. And I just see puzzles all (laughs) over my kitchen floor, all over my dining room floor of the kids sitting there with dad and dad's there on the floor doing puzzles with the kids. And he, he would just, he did stuff like that. He, in the winter time, he would take them sledding. So we had this really, we have this super retro sled. Like it's, it's from my parents' childhood. Oh, wow. So it's a rickety old, uh, like metal framed with the wood <laughs> sled. And he used to sit on that thing and go down the Maple Ridge Sugar Bowl with metal <laughs> in his lap and just go. And yeah, like way to start, like way to break your kid's head open, Dylan. But (laughs) (laughs) But they didn't care. They loved it. Like, yeah, Dylan loved every minute of parenting. He truly did. He took on all the grunt work I didn't want to do. I'm a very, (laughs) I am a very hands off kind of parent. So Mm. I like to let my Mm. kids discover themselves um, in an independent fashion. Yeah. And, but Dylan was the 
guy that as soon as the kids came out, as soon as they were born, he was the guy whipping his shirt off in the hospital room, putting the, the naked baby on his chest saying, and, and patting it, patting the baby and cooing to it and talking to her in a nice soft voice. And I'm, what are you doing? I'm sitting in the I'm sitting in the bed next to him going, what are you doing? He goes, well, I'm doing skin to skin. They said that that's really good for bonding with babies. And Aww. I'm like, you are the most amazing guy. Like, Aww. just so loving right from the yeah. get go. That reminds me a lot of Anthony too. what you're talking about. Kind of once the kids uh, were old enough to kind of play. I mean, that was his favorite thing, too. It was like, I just want them to get a little bit older so we can play because Anthony was a giant child like he always wanted to play outside and run around and and do all that active stuff with the kids and um and if if he was anywhere all the other kids would be drawn to him because he was the parent who was like you know on the swings or bouncing up and down or just being just a giant child and uh, I was so happy that my kids had a dad like him to to play with all the time. It was, it was really nice. Oh yeah. Well, and that's, that's because us as women, as, as mothers who spend all our time with our kids, Mm -hmm. we can't, we can't give them that hands on attention all the time. It's very draining, but the guys, when they go off and they work, they have their separate lives at work and then they come home and they get to be like really themselves, truly themselves at a very like primitive level. Uh-huh. You know, they get they get to really and and really have those memories for their their kids. You know, they I think that men and women, we try to be what our parents weren't, you know, right. yeah. Um, if we didn't have parents that played with us, we try to make the effort to play with our kids more. If we had parents that were always at work, we try to stay at home more. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah um, I agree. Yeah, I think that you just try. I think balance is is something that's key. Mm-hmm. to good parenting in general yeah yeah absolutely um not to bring down the mood <laughs> but, I, you won't uh, it's okay yeah I know um so you lost Dylan unfortunately um in an accident yeah and um are you kind of comfortable talking about that day or how do you want to kind of I mean I can I, talk about that day story. yeah yeah you tell your story how you want to tell your story Okay, well, um, so Dylan was a CP rail conductor. He had been working on the railway since 2007, and he died in a train derailment in Field, BC on February 4th, 2019, which is, what, about 18 months ago? Yeah. Yeah. Um, He was... He was pretty experienced. Like, that's, what, 12 years on the railway? Yeah, Yeah. that's 12 years on the railway. This guy was not a new fish. He knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah. Um, The accident is a tough subject because I have pretty much chosen right from the very beginning uh, that I needed to self-preserve in order to keep my sanity. Um, Talking, like... The accident was one of those things I don't associate with Dylan. I associate it as a totally separate event. Um, But the accident, anyways, I'll just, I'll get into the idea of 
how that day went. Yes. So it was Monday. It was a Monday morning. Um, I hadn't talked to Dylan since Saturday night. So he went away. He had to get up at about two in the morning on Saturday morning to go to work. Mm-hmm. And he was the conductor, so he, I mean, you can conduct the cars inside the rail yard and work an eight-hour shift, or you can go onto the road. And Dylan chose to go onto the road because it paid more money, and he got more bulk time off. If you made your miles on the railway, you got more time off okay. between in the month. So if you made your miles in the period of, what, I think it's 30 days or something, you get to have your uh, time off in bulk. So he was kind of working to have a week off with us. Right. And then he'd get called back to work and, you know, work really hard and then get bulk time off. So it was, it was like, a, you know, an earning kind of idea. And uh, so he went away on the Saturday night and uh, I got a text from him or not – I didn't have a cell phone actually. So this was a Facebook. I was on Facebook and he sent me a message on Facebook saying that the power had gone out at the bunkhouse and field and that the rooms, the bunk rooms inside the bunkhouse were freezing over. It was minus 27 out there. Um, And the power had gone out. So they were working from, um, generators and uh, I think they had one main generator in the main living space but there were a whole bunch of guys I think there were 12 guys in the bunkhouse at that time Wow! so uh, he was in the main room because there was no heating through the bunkhouse he couldn't sleep and uh, he got called on to the train uh, I believe it was just past just past 1 a.m. And uh, this was on Monday morning at 1 a.m. And the train crashed at 1.30. Oh, and uh, so uh, the, the train was at Partridge Station, which is right, been, like right atop the spiral tunnels. Now, these spiral tunnels are synonymous with being dangerous. Like mm-hmm. they, it goes back history, like 150 years of these these tunnels being super dangerous there have been 25 accidents on these tunnels wow so you would think that they would reframe the tunnels but no they just keep going with what they think works this doesn't work no um and now i know from experience but uh so anyways they had parked the train using uh air brakes so Mm -hmm. they have two forms of parking a train you can park the park the train, which is the most efficient, on air brakes. But because of the cold weather, air brakes decrease. Like they 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 generally lift. Like the air goes out of the brakes, and then the train starts. Right. Mm. The only way yeah. to make sure that the train isn't going to go anywhere is to put the handbrakes on. But handbrakes are a big long process. They don't like to do it because it's not efficient. So mm. they have to go to each car and put the brake on the car wow so yeah they have to walk up and down this train and put brakes on each car dylan's train had 112 cars on it so Mm -hmm. imagine doing that for 112 cars you're not going to do that right that makes it it makes sense why would you do that yeah but but at the same time 
the book that they go by, the rules book, did not state that it was mandatory to put the handbrakes on a car that was parked on an incline. Wow. So I don't know why they did that, um, but CP Rail is synonymous with efficiency. They want everything done on, in a timely manner. They want, you know, production, production, production. The faster you guys can get into the station, reload the trains and get them back out, the more money the company makes, right? Yeah. So it makes sense, but it's also really dangerous. The workers know how dangerous it is. I was told many, many, many times by Dylan how dangerous his job was. He yeah. knew he couldn't go to work on no sleep. He knew that there it's long hours. It's really cold. So he always had to pack a ton of clothes. And, um, you know, you never knew when you were going to get called onto a train. So it was like, it's, it's like constantly being, I don't know, on edge. I think mm -hmm. that Dylan was perpetually on edge. And I remember him working shift night shifts and being a zombie yeah. because he just, he couldn't, it's like he could just never let go when he was working. So yeah. when he came home, it was time for like, okay, I need to unwind. I need to, to sleep. I need to get back into the rhythm of life because being at work made him. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A zombie. Yeah. Um, it was really hard on all of us but and anyways anyways getting back to getting back to the accident so mm. uh they so anyways the 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 old team the team that was previous to dylan had maxed out their hours clock so you're actually technically only allowed to work for a certain amount of hours and then you have to take rest and that's right. mandated rest so that makes that that's good that's good safety practices that was that was correct but dylan's group got called onto the train just as the brakes were lifting. Oh. So the train was in motion when Dylan got on the train. The train was leaving. And so him and his conductor or his uh, trainee got onto the train when it was moving on an incline. They were going towards the spiral tunnels. The locomotive engineer put the train into emergency and the train did not stop. Oh my God. And he was calling over the radio, emergency, emergency, uh, evacuate field. So he called for the bunkhouse, like the, the, any of the, the, there was a train that was parked up ahead of him that he didn't believe that they were going, they believed that they were going to smack the train that was in front of them that yeah. was parked at the next station. So he said, evacuate, evacuate, get everybody out of that car, get everybody out of the bunkhouse, like evacuate, we're going to hit, we're going to explode. They were afraid of explosions because there was petrol, uh, petrol on that, on that train. Yeah. So they were, they, I think those guys knew they were going to die. Oh my God. Oh like my I'm, God. I'm pretty sure that Dylan knew. Yeah. So, uh, it was seven minutes seven minutes that was logged from the time that the train left the station 
to the time that the train ended up in the Kicking Horse River. Seven minutes. I can't imagine the the fear and the panic and the oh. I have already I, started crying. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I oh, it's awful. It's so awful. And it's, did the emergency did the emergency alert reach the the staff? Like, so were the people in field aware they, that something was going on? Yeah. Yep, they were. They were aware. They were uh, trying to move that train out of the way when when they had given the call for it. Wow. So they, then, they knew it was happening, but they, they thought they were going to make it. They thought yeah. that they were going to make it around the tunnels and go around the bend and not be a problem. But there was a bend, and instead of the train following the bend, it went right off. Oh, my God. Wow. So they and- thought they would make it, but they really... You know, if it wasn't if it wasn't going to be them falling off the train track, it would have been them smacking, most likely smacking into that other train and causing an explosion. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And so um, Dylan, along with two other men, were killed, right? Yeah. So uh, Andy Dockrell was 54. He was the locomotive engineer. He had been with the railway for... I believe it's 32 years. He was right around the age of retirement. Wow. So he was not, he was not new at this job. No. He knew what he was doing. Um, and then the other gentleman that was killed with Dylan was uh, Daniel Waldenberger Bloomer. Balmer? Bloomer? I'm sorry if I get that wrong, guys. He was 26 and he had just started with the railway in September. So he was only there for a few months before he had died. Oh, oh my gosh. Wow. That's... I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. To you oh. and like all the families that lost somebody. Oh, it's so awful. It is awful. It's and, very and awful. The, the fact that, I mean, they they did what they were supposed to do. They they followed the procedures. They called ahead to evacuate. Like, even up until the end, they were doing their what job. they to do in their job to save other people, knowing yep. that... Oh, they weren't going to make it out. Details. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And so wow. this was at one thirty in the morning. Yeah. Can you walk us through from your end? What happened? Oh God. Okay. So I know I'm up. I'm up for it. Uh, this okay. is important. People need to hear what happens in these, in these situations. So yeah. Monday morning came, it was seven 30. I was, uh, I was running the day home at the time and I open at 7am. So I was up and walking around and doing my morning routine. And, uh, I had already had one child got dropped off this morning or that morning and uh, they were sitting downstairs and they were, you know, just coloring and doing their own thing. And I was upstairs mm-hmm. making a smoothie uh, because I have to eat before I walk the kids to school. Mm-hmm. So 7.30 and my back doorbell rang and three men came to my door. Um, they were businessmen. I didn't recognize anybody. And uh, they asked me, are you Jennifer Parody? And I said, yes. They said, well, um, we just have to, I'm, I'm so sorry. There's been an accident. There was a derailment. And I said, what happened? Is Dylan, 
like, is he in the hospital? They said, mm -hmm. no, hun, he didn't survive. And then I just lost it. I, uh, I threw myself against the wall. There's a back corridor. There's a landing. And I threw myself in the corner of the wall and started screaming, no. Oh, my God. No, 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 you're wrong. I started shouting at them that they were wrong because I couldn't. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, just to have your entire life just, like, crash down around you in one second. I mean, unfortunately, I know that feeling, and it's unbelievable. It's The pain is unbelievable. Yeah. Oh, my God. And, oh. wow. So, and uh, were they with CP Rail? Yes. So, there was one officer, and then the other two were... Uh, one of them was the uh, human resources representative for CP Rail. And then I don't even know who the other guy was because I never <laughs> bothered to find out. No. Just the fact that they were there telling me this terrible news. Uh, they had they brought me in. So they basically had to assist me up the stairs because I couldn't I couldn't walk yeah. and uh they had to say to me like is there anybody you know is there anybody that we can call um who do we need to inform of this does is dylan's you know where's dylan's parents mm -hmm. and i said well his dad lives in in ontario and his mom lives in high river and he's like well could i please have the information to call his mom mm. and i said uh, yeah sure like whatever and mm -hmm. uh i could just remember him chad rolstad is the vp of uh human resources and he got on the phone and called pam and all i hear is screaming on the other side of the phone and it's 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 almost it's surreal you you yeah. just you just you've just heard this information and now you know that one of the people that's closest to Dylan is suffering the same feeling yeah. of loss. And, um, yeah, it feels like your heart just gets ripped right out of your body. Uh, <laughs> I actually, uh, I relate it to, but I've never been shot. So keep that in mind, but <laughs> I, I relate it to a gunshot. I relate it. I relate my, my pain for losing Dylan to a gunshot. So oh, yeah. it's like a hole was just pierced right through and it, the bullet goes all the way through your whole body. And, uh, every time that I have to go back to that day and relive those, those first moments, like it's the first moments that were the worst, right? Everything yeah. else after that is a fog. Yeah. You yeah. just, you don't, it's almost like you block it out because you're trying to survive it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. so, uh, those first few moments are a lot like a gunshot wound. And each time that you touch that spot, it feels like the gunshot wound just starts to bleed again. Yeah. And, uh, you're watching yourself bleed. It is more or less how I relate it. Uh, to my my own pain i i have no idea and i can't relate it to anybody else or what anybody else would have thought in that those moments but yeah it to me was it was like being pierced 
you know, it's just so, and you can't, there's nothing else, nothing else in the world like it. Yeah. That's why um, grief is so strange, right? Like everybody deals with their grief in such a different way and, and their reactions are so different mm-hmm. and, and they're all right. You know, like it's all the there's right. There's no way wrong to, way to do it. Exactly. Because yeah. you never know. And, and I've, I've heard this from so many people saying, if, if, you know, I lost my husband, I would feel this, I would feel that. And I'm like, you don't know, you don't know. You, I don't, I didn't know how I was going to react in that moment. And, you know, it, it's just something that you can never anticipate. Yeah. Yeah. It's awful. It's awful. It is. It really is. (laughs) (laughs) And so I like what, I don't even know, like what happens next? How, who, who showed up to support you? Like, so I ended up, so after Pam found out, uh, CP rail sent a car to go out to high river to get her and bring her back to my house. So at this time, at this point, I'm standing in the living room with three men in a suit, in suits. Um, I call them the three men of the apocalypse because they brought the apocalypse to my door. Yeah. Um, Mm. So I'm standing in the room shaking, um, just like completely disembodied. I feel disembodied at this point. I I don't know what's going on. Uh, I realize that I have to call people to tell them, but I don't know how I'm going to do it. So I think at that point I tapped out of my body and I think everything after that was instinctual. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I called the next person I talked to was my friend, Lisa. Uh, she, uh, that it was really cold that morning. So she offered to take the kids to school for me. So I wouldn't have to walk in the bitter cold. Uh And she showed up at my door and rang my doorbell to take Meadow to school. And Meadow and Elliot, which is Elliot's one of my day home kids. And they climbed into the car and she came back to talk to me about something. And I said, listen, something horrible just happened. Dylan, Dylan died. And she said, no, no. Oh, my God, no. And she just grabbed me. I'm sorry, my friend. (laughs) And she just held me in that moment. And I couldn't believe it because I was still... I was still in shock, so I couldn't even really embrace her hug. I kind of just stood there. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. how is this happening? Yeah. And uh, she said, I'll, I'll drive the kids to school and I'm going to come right back, okay? And I said, okay. Mm-hmm. And then I shut the door and I said, don't, I said to her, don't tell Meadow. Please don't tell Meadow. Yeah. And I, I can't send her to school thinking this, like, this is not, I have to have time to talk to her. She said, okay, no problem. And she left. And then uh, the next person I called was my friend Marie. Yeah. And uh, Marie, uh, she said, <laughs> so I get on the phone with Marie and I said, uh, are you sitting down? She said, no, I'm just doing my hair right now. Can I call you back in a minute? I said, yeah, <laughs> sure, no problem. <laughs> so oh, we hung up the phone. <laughs> I hung up the phone and about two to three minutes later, she called me and I said, she goes, or is she, she said, Hey, so what's up? And I said, are you sitting down? And, uh, she said, yeah, I I'm sitting. And I said, okay, so 
Dylan was in a in a derailment, and uh, she just she. I don't remember her saying anything. I don't know if she was talking at this time. I I blacked that out, mm-hmm. and uh, I just I said he died, Marie, and she said what? And she said I'm I'm coming. I'm coming over. I'm I'll be right there, and uh, and that was it. And yeah. then the next thing, uh, I had to call my dad, and my dad was on a plane. Or he was just leaving. He was just leaving the airport because his mom had just died. Oh my so god! So my grandmother, my grandmother, um, had died on February first, and Dylan died on the fourth. Yeah. So that was two hits in one go. Yeah. Um, and so I, I told him, and he said, "Okay, I'm getting back on the plane. I'm coming. I'll be there as soon as I can be there." And he showed up on Wednesday. So Dylan had died on the Monday. He showed up on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. But everything uh, everything after that is kind of a blur. I remember Marie and Matt coming to the house and bringing me pizza and asking me to eat. Yeah. And I, at that time, I was vegan. So I wasn't eating anything. Yeah. I, uh, I had lost, I lost seven pounds after Dylan died in wow. one week. Yeah. I lost seven pounds because I wasn't eating. And uh, it was uh, that whole day. I remember I had old day home clients come to my door and tell me how sorry they were. I had people, I had strangers calling my home phone to talk to me and get a statement oh, from me God. regarding the death. And oh. Marie was here the whole time and she was handling this stuff and she said, to me, we have to come up with a statement or they're going to keep calling. Yeah. And I said, I don't have anything to say. So if you could just write something and that would be good. And she said, absolutely. And she read it to me and I still don't know what it says to this day. I still have no clue what my statement was because I don't care. Yeah. None of it matters. It doesn't matter. Um, I, I'm, I'm just thinking she wrote Anthony's obituary. It's like, she read my, yeah she wrote mine too and I was oh, like I, I don't I can't uh I don't know how I'm gonna be able to repay her no no but uh yeah, it's yeah. People you love yeah yeah I, I just hope that I can go into animal mode when something happens there yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. because yeah. that was uh that was definitely really hard the whole thing is really hard when you go back to the the first day is was the worst. The second day, it's it's crazy. I I uh, I must have tapped out or gotten numb. Do you know when yeah. something really horrible happens and you just go numb and you can't feel yeah. anything? Yeah. Okay. Well, I went numb the second day because I was washing my window sills and taking things like taking my window. Uh, frames off of you know the the bug the bug part I took that off and I was washing them because I couldn't I couldn't not I couldn't sit there and feel anything yeah yeah so it was it was just nuts those that those first few days were awful was Molly home with you the first day uh yes she was downstairs watching Dora so I basically sat her in front of the TV and she watched Dora all day long. Mm-hmm. Cause she would have uh, been I, little, right? Like she was four. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
she would have been four. So she was in her own little world. She knew something was happening, but she didn't know what it was and she didn't know how to ask the questions. Yeah. 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 So at that time, uh, it was just, she just sat and watched Dora and I would go down occasionally to check on her. Um, and I know that Lisa came back from dropping off Meadow and Elliot to school and she went down there and hung out with them to give me yeah. some peace. I yeah. had to tell all of my clients that my husband had died and mm. nobody believed me like right off the bat. Everyone yeah. thought I would. I think everybody was just like, what, what? And then when they saw the news or they heard the media coverage from the accident, they said, she's not joking. Like this is real. And, uh, everybody came to my door. Um, I had neighbors, I had old day home clients. I had people I never met coming to my door and saying how sorry they were. If there was anything they could do, please let me, let me do something for you. Let me help you. I had strangers shoveling my front sidewalk. I had, I had people, um, sending me message over social media saying I had heard about your husband. My husband works on the railway too. I can't imagine. I'm so sorry. I'm here if you need to talk, but it was the outpouring of people and the out, the just, it was, it was insane. I I must have made so many connections through that, but I'll tell you, not even two years after his death, I don't remember any of them. Yeah. And uh, that just shows how much we go into survival mode. Absolutely. Um, I often think about this after Anthony died because like what you're saying, you're in survival mode and then you have to make all these decisions and you have to have a funeral and all these things. Mm -hmm. And when I think about that now, when I think about having to do that now, um, if for some reason the funeral wasn't until a year later, I feel like it would be an impossible thing to do because in those first few weeks, you are so numb and you are so your brain just tries to protect you so much from the reality of what's going on you can walk into a funeral home and you can make these decisions somehow without, I don't know, losing your mind. But to think about doing that now, it, it seems impossible because the fog lifts, right? And you're so aware of what has actually happened. I don't know. Yeah. It's a really weird feeling, but it it's just it's just strange that the way that you feel when something first happens. Did you find it overwhelming to, because it was all over the news? Um, oh, I hated you, it. Yeah, yeah, like you just had, I so I, I guess I'm like in contrast with Michelle and Anthony, like, because it wasn't in the news, Michelle, you had the opposite problem of like, you had to phone and tell everybody. Yeah. Like and, there was this, yeah. there was this, I don't, I don't want to call it a burden, but you just like, nobody knew because it wasn't public. It wasn't yeah. on the news. And, you know, I think just the polar opposite of that is that with Dylan, it was all over the news. And so you were just inundated with people. Yeah. um, I would say from my experience that having somebody die so publicly is, it's a totally different monster. Mm -hmm. Um, The things that I have to deal with now are, are different. Uh, I, I 
I would say that I have taken a step in, like there are people that want to talk to the media about the accident. There are people that want to um, voice, you know, their concern about uh, rail safety and having the CP rail police dis disbanded. They want to reopen the investigation. They know there was malpractice. They know that there was, you know, there's a cover up. They, you know, uh, there's lots of conspiracy theories about what happened. And um, for me to try to be present in that is just detrimental to my health. Yeah. So yeah. I have to look at that and say, no, that's not my role yeah. here. Uh, my role is to be uh, an upstanding mother. Yes. It's it's to keep myself mentally grounded and whatever that looks like and however I have to do those things, do it because it's not about anybody else's journey at this point. Dylan is dead. Yeah. He can't, he doesn't have a voice anymore, but I know that if he was looking at the situation now, he would say, remove the aspects of this that hurt and go there when you want to go there. Yeah. Um, deal with the grief and unravel that grief when you're ready to. Don't have anybody else drag you into it. And that's what I think the media does. The media and the newspapers and CP Rail, they all try to unravel you in ways. They try to sink you back into it. And I don't know why they do that, whether they're trying to discover what the truth is or to come up with a great story or mm -hmm. give people closure. But to me, Dylan died and that's closure enough. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't need any other, I don't need to prove who did it. I know what happened. Yeah. I don't, I don't need to go and go to those dark places on anybody else's accord. Absolutely. I have to do it on my own. And I think that's the biggest difference between having somebody die publicly and somebody die quietly. Yeah, you know, I, know. I, I wish, I wish in a lot of aspects that Dylan had died qu quietly because yeah. at least then it's one of those things I can touch when I want to, not mm -hmm. something that's forced onto me. Yeah. You can control the narrative. You can control when, like you said, when you, talk about it and when you don't talk about it and yeah I couldn't imagine just it being uh, yeah out there for kind of anyone to read or listen to um that's just so that's just so tough I I know that morning I I saw on Facebook that there had been a, a train derailment and it was just one of those things that I just quickly looked at and, and saw that there was no you know they hadn't named the victims or anything like that and then a few hours later, Marie called me and she actually did the same thing. She said, are you sitting down? And um, she told me that he had passed and I just couldn't, I mean, I couldn't believe it. You know, the, you read an article on Facebook or, or whatever, and you think like, oh my God, that person, like, I can't believe that's happened. And those people are having the worst day of their lives. And then to know that, you know, the person who's having the worst day of their life, it's just unbelievable. So, um, yeah, it's 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 awful. Yeah. I don't know. What it, yeah, awful. <laughs> there's there's no delicate way to say that it's awful. It's just yeah, awful. Honestly, it yeah. really is. It really is. In general, how how are you doing? Um, how are you doing day to day? Like, 
as your as your grief is still there and and you know you're you're an amazing mother to your daughters like how do Aww. you feel like you're doing day to day uh well i day to day i actually have learned to live in this space i have learned um i've had a lot of great teachers come into my life and exit my life and each one of them has taught me resilience and um also you know how how lucky I was Mm -hmm. and and also how lucky I am like I think I think for me living living in this space is not so painful when you can look at all the all the wonderful things that I got that I got in the end of this like Mm -hmm. I I had a community of supporters and I still do. I have people that are there for me no matter what. I have people that listen to me at two o'clock in the morning when I can't listen to myself. Um, I I have I have a wonderful, wonderful family that I get to lean on and have as support. And people that I really didn't think we're going to be there for me are there for me and that's astounding like one of my greatest fears after Dylan died was that I was going to lose his family Mm -hmm. that I was going to lose their their support their love because they were going to be so broken up about losing him we lost our pillar we lost the pillar of our family yeah you know so now now it's me holding us up and I'm not Dylan and I can't be Dylan and but the, the best thing that came out of it was that my bond with his family is bigger than it ever was. Uh-huh. And, uh, and I'm grateful for that. Um, my, my day-to-day life is very good. I have a very high quality of life. Um, because, of, because of how he died, I am very lucky to be able to live the kind of life I want to live. Uh-huh. And... Um, so I've been able to take a step back. I've, I've been able to kind of rediscover this, this person I've become because, you know, you don't, you don't go into a tragedy the same way you come out. Yeah. Um, yeah. You become a different version of yourself. And I think that every day you kind of become more, more uh, comfortable with that version of yourself. You just, you realize that you can't go back in time. Mm-hmm. And I also have gotten really uncomfortable with talking about the future and I don't know if that's all people that, you know, lose somebody really pivotal in their lives, that they discover that the future is one of those things that I just can't talk about anymore. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I, I have a very hard time living either in the past or in the future. I can only live today. This is, this is how I'm conducting my life now because I've, I've just – Dylan was my, my past. He was my – future he was my present and then when he died that recreated what is to happen in the future you know so my future you know when I'm in a dark place my future seems bleak Mm -hmm. Um, it seems sad and lonely and scary like you always have to have your guard up like you are constantly thinking about how somebody's going to take advantage of a situation with you. Uh That's something I've had to learn. I've had to learn to put a very nice 
thick brick wall up against myself to protect myself from people who want to manipulate me uh-huh. or uh, want to take advantage of a situation or I, you know, I've had to learn the hard way. I've had to fall down. I've had to crush myself after Dylan died. I, I had been on an active roller coaster of just hurting myself over and over and over again in any way that I could. Um, I'm thankfully I'm out of that stage now. Mm -hmm. I've, I've been since COVID happened and I actually, you know, I'm one of those few people that you talk to that COVID actually saved my life. COVID helped me because had I not had the break from working every day, had I not had the break from being able to contact volatile people, um, that now I can, you know, I, I've cleared the air. I've been able to sit back and look at what I want, how I want to go about this, who really is important to me and how I want to go forward and live the next phase of my life. Yeah. So I've, I feel that um, my day-to-day now is really, really, really good actually. Oh, that's really good. And how are your girls doing? My girls have ups and downs, uh, just like any person who's grieving. I think you, you go through ups, you go through downs. The girls are very well adjusted though. They have some pretty seriously amazing friends and relatives on their side that, um, that just make their, their day-to-day lives so much better and uh we're very very lucky people like at the end of the day even with everything happened with dylan everything that we've had to go through all of the crap all of the crap i continue to go through because you know grief doesn't end when you want it to it it follows you everywhere you go but at the same time in the same merit we're very lucky that um there are lots of loving people out there that are willing to put themselves aside to help that are uh, willing to listen to you cry or listen to you share your, your happiness with them because every day really is very different, even yes. for the girls. Yeah. Uh, Meadow has had to go to quite a few different counselors. Um, Molly was so young when Dylan passed that she doesn't remember much. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's actually a blessing in a lot of ways because she's not going through a lot of the hardship that Meadow has to go through. Yeah. Um, when Dylan died, Meadow felt that she had to fill the role of parent, which is interesting. Oh. So she, I used to playfully call her my therapy dog because <laughs> I would start bawling or fall down or throw myself somewhere on the ground or up against a wall or something because I couldn't hold my body anymore. And she mm-hmm. would come over and she would just rub my back and say, I'm sorry, mommy, I miss daddy too. Oh, God. Oh, God. And okay. uh, yeah, so she's she's been having the hardest time with dealing with, you know, the loss of a family structure and the loss of a good man in her life. You know, we struggle to find good good men. I think yeah. is the struggle now. Good, solid, loving men 
is is yeah. the struggle because we're you know we're three women and even we are very very close with Dylan's mom Pam. Mm -hmm. She has been so great, but she has gone through a lot of loss herself. Uh, in 2017, she lost her husband, and then in 2019, Dylan died. Yeah. So yeah. she's had a lot of loss, and she's had a lot of a lot of you know the the good men in her life have passed. So yeah. um, I think her and I were str our struggle is very similar in the you know the the male side, the male counterparts are gone. You know, thank God I have my dad. My dad is a very strong man and he's very loving and committed to our health as a family. So yeah. I have him to lean on, but oh God, you know, it's, it is hard. It's, it's, it's like walking through a minefield. You never really know when your leg's going to get blown off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially with outside people, you really have to be careful. Yes, you do. Yeah. And that's something right. that I had to learn. Well, and I remember thinking that too, like, as soon as um, I lost Anthony, it was like, we are now more vulnerable than we ever were before. You know, mm -hmm. we are now at risk of, I don't know, just more Everything. dangers, I guess, yeah. you know, that, that you just have to be so much more aware of people's intentions and the people that are in your life and, um, new people that come into your life. It's just, you have to be so cautious. Vigilant. Yeah. 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 I agree. I agree. And I think that that, uh, that was not my way of going into things. I've always been a very open, charismatic, loving person, and mm -hmm. I've never had to have my guard up. So being taught that I have to have my guard up was a hard lesson. And I had to get hit a lot. I've yeah. had to get, I've had to get beat down emotionally, physically, financially, all of it. I've had to take, I've had to take a lot of hits. Yeah. And so, but being hit just makes you strong. Um, I think that I'm in a much better place now than I have been the entire time that he's been gone. Yeah, that's good. So mm -hmm. I look at that as growth. I look at that as prospering, even though, you know, at, at an expense for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, at a personal expense as well, because I'm not, I'm not as loving. I'm not as nurturing as I used to be. I'm not as charismatic as I used to be. I'm a yeah. lot more, I'm a little more gritty. I'm a little bit more, you know, yeah. uh, almost calling people on their, on their bull, you know, yeah. calling yeah. people out and calling them right away before they even give you reasons. You're like, I don't like your face. I don't trust you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> my yeah, dad, absolutely. my dad thinks it's great. He's like, good. You don't trust anybody. That's the way it should be. And I'm like, this is so <laughs> awful. Like <laughs> what a terrible thing, but I know that it's just coming from a place of protection. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, Oh, wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us, Jen. And I'm so sorry that what you've gone through, I mean, likewise. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Likewise. Um, I'm not the only widow I know. No. So, which is just sad, right? Yeah. Like we're, yeah. You guys are so young and just to, you know, to sort of as peripherally or involved as I've been with both of you, it's just heartbreaking yeah. to not be able to fix it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? Exactly. I guess so. Yeah. That's, it's, it's sad, I but so. I think it's true. 
I think it's true. I think you just, I think you just learn to endure. I think yeah. you, and it, and, uh, you know, this is all, I, I, I also believe in like the universe too. I, through all of losing Dylan and having to, you know, reconnect with self, I think that, uh, the universe has a plan. And I, yeah. I think that, uh, kind of just going with the flow of things and, you know, the universe will bring people into your life and they'll shift people out. And there's always a reason for it. I mean, what happened to us in the respect of losing our husbands? I don't think that that was universal, but I do believe that when people come in, it's to help or it's to hinder or it's to teach or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then when they leave, it's to make way for something better. And so I just always look at the shift and the dynamics in the universe. And I just go, you know what? I'm having a day, but that's just making way for better days. Yeah. You absolutely. know, that's such a great perspective. And, no, also, thanks. <laughs> and also to know that you don't always have to be okay. And you don't, don't always have to be, you know, feeling good or happy. Like it's just no. being able to kind of go with the flow of how your grief is, is making you feel that day too. Right. Like it, it's all valid. Oh, absolutely. Yes. You have to have those gut-wrenching, awful, I can't get out of bed today days. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, when you come out of that, you're like, oh my God, I can breathe again. It's amazing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm walking through the house without tears in my eyes. Aww. Holy cow. <laughs> like you just, you're like, it feels so good to feel good. And you know yeah. what, that's what they say in the grief books. You know, they say, don't feel bad for having good moments, for having good days. Don't feel bad for that. Yeah. And, and I don't, I really, I have had like, I, I can't, I can't tell you how many days I've had where I can barely talk. Yeah. Like where every song that comes on the radio or every show that's on Netflix or every couple, even my parents, like they've been married for what, 43 or 44 years. You know, yeah. sometimes being in the same room with them, I just, I, I just get mad at them. Yeah. You're, you're yeah. having the future I was supposed to have, Absolutely. you know? Yeah. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's, it's hard, but I also have been taught through this process to not resent, you know, to yeah. not resent your feelings. Like if you're mad at something, damn right. You're mad at it. Just yeah. let it be, mm-hmm. you know, or if you're happy, let that be too, you know? Yeah. 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 Wow. Well, I'll let you wrap it up. (laughs) It's it's all important. Yeah. When we found out that you were, you know, like wanting and interested in telling your story, I just thought like, wow, like that's, you're so strong to do that. And I appreciate it so much because someone's going to listen to this and it's going to impact them. Absolutely. Yeah. God, I hope so. That's what I was looking for when I, it was in the early days. You know yeah, that podcast, yeah. uh, Terrible Thanks for Asking. Yes. Holy crap, did that save my my butt like so many times and still does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just gives you so much reflection. You know, you yeah. you look at yourself like, man, I've really been through the ringer, but this person's been through almost the worst version of it. Yeah. And you just you just have to commend people who've been through the worst days of their lives mm-hmm. and they come out the other side. You're just like, wow, if yeah. I, if they can do that, I can do it too. Yeah. You know, absolutely. yeah. Makes you yeah. believe in yourself. It does. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, well thank, thank you, you so Jen. much. Enjoy the rest <laughs> of your day. It's supposed to be a beautiful day. So get out and enjoy it if you can. I will.
All right. We'll talk to you later. Thank you so much, ladies. I really appreciate being being on this podcast and being able to share my story. I hope somebody can take something good from it. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jen. No okay, problem. Have a good day. Toodaloo. Bye. Bye. Michelle. Hi. <laughs> I'm certainly glad that we record our intros and outros not the exact same day that we interview. Yeah. Because I would just be a shell of a human sobbing. Yeah. After that story. Whew. I remember, yeah, during that interview. Yeah. I literally wrote rough. on a piece of paper, whose idea was this? Yeah, because it was... It, <laughs> it was, was really heavy. It was heavy, but you know what? That's the reality yeah. of loss, you know? Yeah. It is heavy and hard and you can still have light days and be happy. Yeah. Um, it's just an entire roller coaster every day, yeah. you know? And the biggest thing that I've learned about grief is that it is constantly changing. You can never predict yeah. when you're going to feel down, when, you know, what's going to kind of trigger you. And yeah, it's just, yeah, it's rough. Lindy, um, she lost her mom a couple of years ago and somebody shared this analogy of grief. That's like grief is like this ball inside of a box and it's just constantly moving mm-hmm. and the sides are sort of like your life. And so when it touches the side, it hurts and yeah. that's like your grief showing, but the box is a different size every day. And so like on some days, especially in the beginning, like the box is really small mm-hmm. and literally the ball is just touching all sides at all times because it has nowhere to go. Yeah. You know, and eventually, you know, slowly maybe the box grows bigger and bigger. So it's not touching those sides all the time. Mm-hmm. But it still hurts when it does. Yeah. You know, and some days you have... Yeah, anyway. I don't know if that's, like, the most... No, it, it it's just so complicated and everyone deals with grief so differently. And I remember um, one time, I think it was before we moved back to be close to everybody. I was driving from where we were living... Um, to Calgary Mm -hmm. and it was like an hour and a half drive and um I think on the drive I was like changing my utilities and stuff on my speakerphone I wasn't I was being careful um but then I literally had this feeling like I was just punched in the gut yeah because it was like holy crap you know it was it was like a punch in the gut kind of lose my breath like this is this is real, yeah. you know, and, and it, sometimes it just comes out of nowhere like that, yeah. you know, like you're going about your day and then it's like, Oh my God, like yeah. what? So yeah. I mean, that's why counseling is so important. Um, especially for kids. Yes. Um, so that they can understand that this is normal and there are ways to cope and there are going to be days where you're feeling terrible. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just hard. Yowza. I wish I had some sort of like witty joke yeah. or something to insert here, but it did end on a happier or like a lighter note. Yeah. I wouldn't and, say happier. And but. I mean, I guess Jen's goal is for somebody to take something from this and, and yeah. you know, just, I don't know, just so know you're that you're not alone. Spouse, call them and tell them you love them. Yeah. And I Send mean. Send a text message. It's all about kind of perspective and it's all about, um. Just if you know someone in your life that has lost somebody, uh, be there for them. I kind of related it to like uh, having a newborn mm-hmm. where in the beginning, you know, you need people are there and they're showing up and they're giving you clothes and they're um, but then 
you know, your kid is still growing or, you yeah. know, you're, you're still su- like struggling with teething or things down the line and, and people aren't there because I mean, life goes on. Yeah. Right. So just check in with your people. Yeah. Check in with your friends and your family and yeah, see how they're doing. Um, there's no easy way to segue into this. So you guys should just follow us on social media. Yeah. <laughs> I did not sign up for this. Um, on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Facebook, Patreon. Uh, and yeah, we're on Patreon. So I was going to say, we have maybe, how many Patreon episodes do we have? Um, yeah, we have 11 episodes. Wow. So um, if you really like what we're doing and you want to support us and or you just want more of us, because who doesn't, <laughs> um, you should consider joining our Patreon. Uh, it's $5 or there's an $8 level per month. And uh, like if you sign up today, you get 11 episodes to binge and then we post episodes every two weeks you get a bonus one so check it out it's a great way to support us it's a great way to get a little get a little more yeah yeah but anyway take care of yourselves today thanks for listening and we'll talk to you later Bye. bye Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.